family or friends who can't watch Heart of the Matter on television, tell them to go to www.hotm.tv and they can watch live streaming video from anywhere in the world. Whether you're watching on the national NRB network, DirecTV channel 378, or listening on the radio, AM 820, KUTR, the truth, we welcome you. I was a born-again Mormon moving toward Christian authenticity is a book that kind of started the whole gig. It's available at bornagainmormon.com, utlm.org. <clears throat> Wait a second, show that to me again. Turn on your mic. That's excellent advice. How about put on my mic? <laughs> See, this is why I get paid the big bucks. No one else can do what I do because I'm such a professional. By the way, we have to train our, uh, our camera people on the art of writing in pen in a hurry because it looked like it said, corn in your mick. So anyway, uh, the mic is now on. Uh, uh, so Born Again Mormon, also available at Lifeway Christian Bookstores and Christian Gift and Bible. How about a great Sunday afternoon planned out for you already? You don't even need to think. Uh, first, get in your car around 1 a.m., turn on AM 820 The Truth. They replay Heart of the Matter every week, and then drive to the U of U and join a weekly never-denominational Bible study that is growing, actually, quite large as we uh, continue to meet together. And it's not just the verse-by-verse -verse Bible study that we do, which is always fun. Uh, there's also quite a fellowship going on there with people, and they are uh, starting to mutiny and do all kinds of fun things. So, uh, not really. Come and join us on Sundays. Go to calvarycampus.com for more information like times and locations. Listen up, Christians in Utah and even Idaho. Aletheia Ministries has produced what we feel like is an outstanding short Christian film aimed at reaching teens and young adults, especially uh, teen and young adult girls. Uh, regarding God and the pressures of being a girl in this world. So if you're a teenager, or boy or girl, or a parent with teenagers, if you're a youth pastor or just a person who loves film, and we think this is a great film, join us for the screening premiere of Girl. Take a look at it right now. Dear God, Mother says you only answer prayers from obedient and chaste girls. If that's the case, I'm screwed. Right, wrong, what to do? Someday it will come to you. 
For some reason, I believe in you. And for some reason, I think you'll help me. So here's my confession. The premiere of Girl is going to be Monday night, December 6th at the Gateway Megaplex Movie, 12 theaters in downtown Salt Lake City from 7 to 8 p.m. Admission is free. Light refreshments will be served, and then we're going to have a short panel discussion <clears throat> to hear your thoughts and your insights on the movie. Girl is being submitted to a number of uh, uh, Christian and secular film festivals, and we really need your insights on the premiere. We, we want to show it to you, it's, and, and then we want to have a discussion about what your thoughts are. Uh, whether you're a believer, you can be an atheist, you can be a film critic, you can be anybody. In fact, the Salt Lake Tribune's writing a review of Girl uh, uh, as we speak. So spread the word and come out to the free premiere of Girl on uh, Monday, December 6th, 7 to 8 p.m. at the Gateway Megaplex Movie Theaters. Don't be lazy. We need you. People write us and say, how can we help? How can we help? We need your opinion right now. So come to, and join us on that. In Genesis 12, 3, the Lord said, speaking of the nation of Israel, and I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse them that curse thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Heart of the Matter sponsors Israel by offering uh, you genuine products from the Holy Land. Go to www.hotm.tv for a look at uh, Heart of Israel and look at the Heart for Israel logo. You can click on that and look at gorgeous handmade olive wood products, nativities, carvings, crosses, among other things. It supports uh, Israel, great gifts, and it also supports Aletheia Ministries. Speaking of crosses, I received an email which showed a rendering of uh, the temple that is being built by the LDS Church in Rome. Uh, from what I can tell and from what a conversation uh, was between two architects who are working on this temple and who commented, uh, there is going to be boldly across the two front entrance door of this LDS temple in Rome, a cross, giant cross on those doors. Um, we could respond to this if it occurs in a number of ways. We could say, oh, well, they're just playing to the Vatican influence and are using this sacred symbol to draw more Catholics to them. We could always look at it that way. We could say, hey, this is great news because it's a step in the right direction. Uh, we could say, even if their intentions are not wholly genuine, the cross is present and might reach people with its true meaning. My thoughts? Mormonism is a world power, and it is based in and on the things of this world. The cross in this instance is nothing but an icon meant to appeal to that part of the world. A good friend of mine, Dan, pointed out the other day that if the cross was really truly understood and appreciated by the LDS, we wouldn't just see it on the front doors of a temple in Rome, but on every chapel and every stake center, it would replace Moroni on the top of every temple. So he makes a great point. But even then, the presence of the cross does not make a place Christian, does it? So think on that, and with it, let's have a prayer. God in heaven, we need you, we love you, and we seek you. Be with our audience wherever they may be. Help our volunteers, help those who are running the show tonight, and uh, give me uh, peace and calmness and love as we deal with the issues that are so important in the Mormon-Christian debate. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Tonight's topic, I, t for me, actually preparing it was one of the more difficult topics, but I think it's my favorite show of the year. Uh, and the topic is misunderstood not only in the Mormon Christian debate, but in Christianity as a whole, in my opinion, which makes teaching it here doubly difficult. And uh, our topic is repentance. I'm not sure I have the ability to stress how important a proper understanding of what repentance is for those seeking to comprehend the good news of Jesus Christ and what it really means. So silently say a prayer for me and pray for uh, your own spiritual enlightenment as I make an attempt. If we look up the word repent or repentance in a modern dictionary uh, or dictionaries, we would find a number of very misleading sentences. They say things like to turn from sin, to amend one's life, to feel regret, and or to change behaviors and attitudes about previous behaviors and beliefs. As a result of these modern definitions, uh, of the word repent, millions of people, if not billions, use the word in a way that is not only wrong, it is against the good news of Jesus Christ. So let's begin our analysis with a very brief explanation of the good news of Jesus Christ. There were several churches in uh, the uh, territory of Galatia that Paul founded. Uh, not just one, and Galatia was a territory, it wasn't a city. In some of them, there were men who came and they began to preach and pervert the gospel of grace or the good news. According to the first chapter of Galatians, these men began to preach what Paul first called another gospel, and then he kind of corrected himself in his letter by saying that it's not another gospel, and this is why. Gospel means good news. If you tell me that God will forgive me of all my sins, past, present, and future, and count me righteous, uh, if all I need to do is simply believe on Jesus Christ and His goodness and His shed blood, well, that is good news. And it is the only good news and the only gospel that there is. But if you tell me I must then allow certain rules and regulations and obediences to laws in order to be righteous or, be to, or to be accepted by God, that is not good news because nobody has ever been successful at living that. And the result is always bondage and a yoke and a burden, which is not what Jesus gave his life for. Now, when most people use the word repent today, they mean it in the sense of what the modern dictionaries say. And when confronted by something that a person does that we don't like, we will often say, you need to repent. And which means you need to stop your sinning. You need to amend your not life. You need to feel regret and or you need to change your behaviors and attitudes about previous actions and attitudes uh, that you had. Listen. This is not the New Testament meaning of repent, my friends. Yes, you will hear even very good Christian authorities, pastors sometimes saying that it includes these Webster definitions. But in this dispensation of grace, this is not true in the least. Repent means and only means, I'm going to say a phrase over and over right now that you're going to hear through this show. It means to change your mind to change your mind. 
where Mark 6:12 reads, and they went out and preached that men should repent, we could read it that they went out and preached that men should change their minds. When John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it could and should read, change your mind for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So this is the first problem with the word repent. Many people think it means change your actions to stop or act or be humble, to cry, to shed tears, to outwardly conform, uh, uh, but not so. All it really truly means is to change your mind, all right? Unfortunately, many people today, especially Mormons, but many Christians as well, when they use the word repent in the Websterian way, they also suggest that if a person does not repent in that way, changing their actions and conform or stop, they stand in jeopardy of going to hell. And this is the second problem with the use of the word repent. People use it as necessary, as a necessary and constant act to staying out of hell. Nothing could be further from the truth. We do not go to heaven because we have repented. Uh, in, the, in, in the way that they say repenting means change your actions. Any more than we go to hell because we have not repented, meaning changed our actions. Uh, we go to heaven by the grace of God through faith, and we miss hell by the grace of God through faith, period. When we use the word repent in the sense of stop or turn from your actions or behaviors and tie this definition of repentance to going to heaven or hell, we have slipped into another gospel. And the good news is once again lost. And let me tell you, the use of the word repent or repentance becomes one of the most horrible words in Christianity. Uh, let me use Mormonism as the model for the diabolical use of the word repent and repentance. They deserve it. Mormonism teaches that in order to truly repent, a person must do a number of things. Now, on my LDS mission, we taught people that there were steps to repentance, and we called it the R-scarf method. And a truly repentant person must follow the R-scarf method. And we're going to show this on the screen for you. And this is what it is. First, you have to recognize that you have sinned. Okay, you have to recognize the sin was committed. Then you have to feel sorrow for the sin you committed. Then you have to confess that sin to God and the bishop if it was a bad sin. You have to ask forgiveness from God and from the bishop for the church and from the person you offended if they were involved. You have to make restitution for the sin, meaning if you stole a candy bar, you have to go back to the store and either barf it back up and make it back into a candy bar or pay for it. You have to make restitution and then you have to forsake the sin forever and ever and ever. This is the LDS uh, version of repentance. If you miss any of those, if you do everything but you don't forsake the sin, you have not repented, okay? And therefore you stand in great jeopardy. Now, this method was partially, actually listen, partially suitable for the people in the Old Testament. 
Uh, under the law, they had to have some sort of systematized or formalized method by which they uh, uh, sought uh, to change from their sin. Why? Israel had not been redeemed. They were under a blessing curse economy. And even though God wanted their hearts to be in it, repentance for them under the law was more turning and changing their actions and less of a changing of their mind. All that was required of them is that they did what they were commanded to do, but they couldn't succeed in this. Everybody failed at it because it's very tough to consistently do right when your mind and your heart have not changed according to it. God knew this and this is why he sent his son. Well, Mormonism having ignored the good news aspect of the New Testament have readopted elements of legalistic living from the Jews no less and have placed people under a yoke of constant repentance, okay? It's a revolving door. I'm telling you, especially with people have, who have a propensity for, for sins that they're willing to admit that they have. I mean, if you go to an LDS ward, that's a, a young adult ward, the bishop's door should, should, should be like those doors in New York where, what are they called? Uh, revolving door, yeah. You, you're, you're just walking in and walking out, walking in and walking out. You just keep doing this repentance day in and day out. And let me tell you something. Uh, you have never been in bondage until you have been under the bondage of constant repentance. Now, I'm going to blow your mind. Let me tell you, let me read to you some quotes from the LDS leaders regarding repentance. Now, listen to what they say, okay? This is from McConkie. All must repent to be free. All must obey to gain the gospel blessings. All must keep the commandments to merit mercy, okay? You have to keep the commandments, according to McConkie, to merit mercy. Good luck, McConkie. Good luck with that, wherever you may be. In the church manual, it says, He, meaning Christ, removes our sins if we keep his commandments. Okay, so that places it right back on us. So you, your sins will be removed if you keep his commandments. Nobody has kept his commandments. So that is saying you are not going to be forgiven of your sin. A Mormon reads that and says, okay, I need to start keeping his commandments better. Next one, we repent by no longer sinning. That's in a uniform system for teaching investigators. All right, next one. To make our repentance complete, we must keep the commandments of the Lord. Next one, as we repent, the atonement of Jesus becomes fully effective in our lives and the Lord forgives our sins. Do you see the pernicious nature of that one? What it's saying is that you continually acquire new sins and then only when you're repenting are those sins taken off the tablet where God is recording them for you. This is bondage, man. This is another gospel, okay? Oh, these keep getting better. Listen, listen to this one. Indeed... This is, it says, from Joseph Fielding McConkie and Robert Millett from BYU. Indeed, it is only after a person has so performed a lifetime of works and faithfulness, only after he has come to deny himself of all ungodliness and every worldly lust, that the grace of God, that spiritual increment of power, is efficacious. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? And then he goes on. You can read the rest in the language of Moroni. Yea, come unto Christ and be perfected unto him and deny yourselves of all ungodliness. And ye shall deny yourselves of all ungodliness and love God with all your might and mind and strength. Then 
is his grace sufficient for you that by his grace you may be perfect in Christ? It's a sickening, sickening quote. It's unbelievable. And next one. And while forgiveness is a miracle, it is not one without penitent and strenuous effort. It's just, it's just such a burden. Uh, uh, I'm going to read one to you that's not on the screen. You ready? Repentance must involve an all-out total surrender to the program of the Lord. That transgressor is not fully repentant who neglects his tithing, misses his meetings, breaks the Sabbath, fails in his family prayers, does not sustain the authorities of the church, breaks the word of wisdom, does not love the Lord nor his fellow men. A reforming adulterer who drinks or curses is not repentant. The repenting burglar who has sex play is not ready for forgiveness. God cannot forgive unless the transgressor shows a true repentance which spreads to all areas of life. Boyd K. Packer said uh, in 1995, the gospel teaches us that relief from torment and guilt can be earned through repentance. Okay, let's go to this next one. This is from uh, Spencer Kimball. There can be no forgiveness without real and total repentance. Listen to this line. And there can be no repentance without punishment. This is as, as eternal as the soul. Next one. If one neglects his tithing, misses his meetings, breaks the Sabbath, or fails in his prayers and other responsibilities, he is not completely repentant. The Lord knows, as do we, the degree of full and sufficient compliance we make with these fundamental aspects of the law of repentance, which is really God's law of progress and fulfillment. And then we have, uh, 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 let me see. I got to read this one more for you. Uh, your heavenly father has promised forgiveness upon total repentance and meeting all the requirements. But that forgiveness is not granted merely for the asking. There must be works, many works, and an all-out total surrender with great humility and a broken heart and a contrite spirit. It depends upon you whether or not you are forgiven and when. It could take weeks. It could take years. It could be centuries before that happy day when you have the positive assurance that the Lord has forgiven you. That depends on your humility, your sincerity, your works, and your attitudes. It makes me sick. The bondage that people are under because of these bastards and what they say about people and how they have to earn their salvation and they have to earn the right to be forgiven when Jesus Christ came and did it for us. It's his righteousness. It's his blood. And it's by our faith and our trust and our total broken devotion to him in saying, God, save me a sinner, that we are forgiven and that we are freed. These guys keep people in bondage. You are in bondage if you believe this stuff. You're on a hamster wheel. And it's just absolutely ridiculous that they are allowed to say these things and nobody calls them on the carpet. Nobody says, why don't you read the book of Galatians? Kimball, McConkie, Packer, Monson. So back. <laughs> so back to the truth. True repentance is, as I said, changing our minds about a matter. When Peter preached to the Jews and told them to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, he was saying, change your mind about who the Messiah is. 
and be baptized is an outward sign that your mind has been changed on that. But repentance to the Jews, what they needed to change their minds about was very different than what we as Gentiles need to change our minds about. John the Baptist came to prepare the way for the house of Israel, not for Gentiles. Jesus Christ came not to, for the house of Israel, not for Gentiles. The 12 apostles came to the house of Israel, not for Gentiles. But Paul was called and especially sent to the Gentiles, and his approach was very different. You have to understand that. If you look at the word repent in the Gospels, you find it all over the place. If you look in the Pauline epistles, you find it twice. And those two times, it is not used at all in the sense. He's just referencing actually scripture that uses the word repent. Are Gentiles supposed to repent? Absolutely. But in a good news way and not in a legalistic sense. How? Okay. First, remember, repentance means, of course, to change our minds. Don't forget this because it's key to being a Christian saved by grace through faith. Now, let me ask you some ifs and and thens. Ready? If we are saved by grace through faith and not of works, and if Jesus paid for all of our sins, past, present, and future, then what are we Gentiles repenting of? Or what does repentance do if we have already been forgiven past, present, and future of our sin? Again, what do Gentiles, converts to Christianity, what do we repent of when we're repenting? And what does re this repentance do when uh, we have already been forgiven of those sins at the cross 2,000 years ago? If every person uh, in... Every person who becomes a Christian, there are two types of repentance, okay? The first is repentance unto salvation. Faith and changing our minds are two sides of the same coin. This coin could be called salvation. On one side, we have faith in Jesus Christ, and that, that by grace we are saved. But on the other side of that coin, we have repentance. Change your mind, okay? When a Gentile comes to see what kind of life that he or she has lived, usually by hearing the word and definitely by the Holy Spirit, and then they, they see their lives that they have lived relative to holy God, then they see the solution to their, their sins as the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Um, they repent, they change their mind about the kind of person they have been and the life that they have lived. And they change their mind or repent about the way that they have viewed God in the past. And they change their mind about the, the purpose of life from that point forward and the value of their former life uh, from that point forward. They change their mind about their priorities in their life. They change their mind about the goals they have in the future. This is the other side of the salvation coin. We have faith and we change our mind. That is what salvation is all about. Uh, the, uh, this is repentance unto salvation. And this is how faith and repentance saves us. Repentance itself does not. Better put, if we really have faith in Christ, we will have a change of mind. When you really do believe on him and who he is, his holiness relative to your sin, your mind can't help but change. That's why repentance is listed in there. Okay, changing our minds alone does not save anybody. 
uh, and changing our actions alone certainly won't save anybody. Uh, but yet on the other side of faith, uh, on the coin of salvation, the natural changing of our mind about God in our sinful lives occurs. Now this is important. What causes us to change our mind? Fear might cause some people to change their mind. Uh, we see our sin, we see holy God, and we're afraid of the fact of what we have done, and that could cause us to change our mind about how we see things. But to me, that type of uh, impetus only goes so far. Um, what most genuine rebirths are based on, in my opinion, is the love God shows, not the fear of what he does, okay? We are brought to a state of faith, and we have a change of mind because of the goodness of God. Now, uh, Paul says in Romans 2, 4, listen to this. Uh, talking to the Gentiles, he asked why the Gentiles despise the riches of God's goodness and his forbearance and his long suffering. Listen to this line. Not knowing that the goodness of God leads people to repentance. The Gentiles didn't know that the goodness of God leads the Gentiles to repentance. So this is the first type of repenting. The changing of the mind a person does, sees her life for what it is, and they change their mind about everything. This is faith and repentance. But let me ask you another question. Will the person continue to sin even though they have changed their mind about their own life, about what they've done, and about God? Uh, and the fact that they even know that he loves them and sent his son. Will a person who has a change of mind still sin? Yes, they will still sin. We're still human. We're still in flesh. Do these sins or actions remove us from God's presence, his love, or the salvation he gave us? Never. They never will, even though our minds have been changed. Remember what Paul said in Romans 7, 25. He said, so then with my mind... He said, I serve the law of God, and with my, but with my flesh, the law of sin. So the, he changed his mind, and he, he now serves with his mind the law of God, realizing that there is times when his flesh will serve the law of sin. That premise alone completely counters everything those prophets of the Mormon church have been telling their people for years. And here's where the LDS step in and do a real number on people. First, they continue to claim that real repentance means a person has to change or stop their actions forever, which is not possible. Every single Mormon dies with sin in their flesh on their uh, uh, account. And it is only by the shed blood of Christ that that's removed. Second, they say that only through this repenting practice of theirs that uh, will God send his spirit to be with them. Everything in the Mormon relationship is tenuous. If you have been living really well and you're doing everything right, you think, and you're really hungry one day and you have no money and you just decide out of your flesh to steal a little uh, piece of bread like Jean Valjean did in Les Miserables and, and he stole a loaf of bread and he spent 12 years in prison for it. And, and uh, Victor Hugo, his whole book is about the ridiculousness of that and, and that how sin is taken over by Christ and how Jean Valjean suffered for it. But, you know, you take that one little piece of bread, Mormons say you have never repented for anything and it's all back on your back. You have to change your actions. That's what matters. It's Old Testament. And finally, thirdly, they say, uh, if you don't repent by changing or stopping a sinful action, you will miss heaven altogether. And uh, that is just a heinous, heinous teaching that religious people love because it keeps people in tow. 
I got to close this up, uh, but I want to say this. Do you know that the message of the book of Galatians is what ignited the Protestant Reformation? You see, Martin Luther was a devoted Catholic monk, and Catholicism taught Martin to, like Mormonism, to focus on specific sins and getting rid of them, and repenting or changing his actions would make him right with God, and so he tried. Boy, that kid, he tried in a false sense. Like no other to repent, at night he would review his day, and he would try to think of every misdeed, every foul thought, every lazy indifference he had to the things of this life, and it didn't work. So Luther goes to Rome, and there's a set of stairs in the sanctuary, and he was told that if he knelt on each step and he recited the Paternoster prayer, by the time he got to the top, he could stand and say, my sins have been forgiven just for up until this point of this day. Tomorrow, I'll probably have to do that, that climb again, you see. And he knew when he reached the top that repetitive, endless repentance is a joke. He knew it was a joke that you have to, and that's when he said he learned from the book of Galatians that he learned that the, that we are justified by our faith and faith alone in Christ and the shed blood of Christ and what he did for us, that he lived a perfect life. He never had to repent. And it was because of our faith and trust in him and his shed blood alone that we are justified before God, sanctified before God. And then our minds change toward the lives we're going to live. That is what repentance is. That is the good news. And, and not the incessant repenting, uh, uh, which religions use as a tool to keep people in chains. And uh, so that's where we are. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. Listen, we love LDS callers. We love first-time callers. And our operators have been instructed to get tough on the callers. We do not refuse any caller because they pose difficult, troubling, or ac uh, accusatory uh, things. Never. We'll take on the hardest ones. But we will refuse you if you cannot present an easy-to-understand comment, question, or accusation, okay? So uh, we have thousands of emails and letters that we can fill the space in between with interesting stuff. So we're going to sort through the calls uh, that way. Now, while the operators are vetting your calls, let me tell you about uh, quickly about our ministry. Uh, we're on the air because of you and your God-directed support. Uh, no God direction, no you, no us. That's just how it works. One thing that uh, makes our ministry unique, however, and I can say this with in the full presence of God and his angels is this ministry bears fruit. It bears a lot of fruit and we praise God for blessing us in that way. So if you are so inclined, partner up with us. You can find out more about this in three ways. You can go to www.hotm.tv and you can find out about partners or supporting us that way. You can go to uh, and call 1-888-868-4686 and uh, find out about it that way or you can write us at the address that is on your screen. If you can't support financially, we fully understand or be a, a monthly partner with us or whatever, play, pray for the ministry, please. Those are, that's more important than anything else, that you include us in your ministry, uh, in your prayers about the ministry every day, uh, every month, every week. It really helps us out. All right, let's hit the phones. We are going to go to uh, Reagan and Draper, first-time caller and LDS. Reagan from Draper, Utah. You're on the air. Hi, I have two questions for you. Yeah. Uh, one, in your prayer this, uh, this evening at the beginning, you talked about fill yourself full of love and talked about love, and then over the weeks you've talked about um, loving the Savior and accepting Him and all of that. How can you talk about love and being so good to people 
and have such hate for the Mormon religion and the people. Yeah, I don't, hate the people. Oh. I don't hate the people. I, I love the Mormon people. That's why I've spent uh, this portion of my life trying to reach them. Uh, but I do hate Mormonism. Absolutely. Just as much as maybe Jesus hate legalism or hated the, the religious rulers of the day who crucified him. I don't like, I don't like lies. I don't like dishonesty, and I'm not afraid to show my disdain for it. So you can interpret that as, as lacking love for people, but I think in my life, anyone who knows me and sees me, I don't think that's true. You just perceive that because I'm speaking out against the faith, which maybe you hold dear. Okay, and my last question is, if we talk about the, would you compare the humanitarian efforts that the LDS Church does versus possibly what um, you know your side is doing and how well they are doing that job or how well you don't think they're doing their job? Uh, in terms of humanitarian efforts, uh, I think Mormonism does a fine job. And in fact, I think that, you know, the Shriners and the Masons do a fine job, too. I think in terms of humanitarian efforts, I think the U.S. military and the Corps of Army Engineers do a great job, too. But unfortunately, God didn't say, hey, if you want to live with me, you got to have humanitarian efforts. He said, you got to believe on my son. And so humanitarian oh. efforts can come from atheists and believer alike. So I don't view that the fact that the Mormons can throw some of the billion dollars they receive every month towards some people who are suffering as indicative that they are the true church. I view what they teach in their doctrine more as indicative of whether they teach truth or not. Sure, sure. Well, and one other thing, that when you were in the LDS religion, I'm sure there were times that you stood up and bore your testimony of the truthfulness of the gospel. Would that be correct? Oh, absolutely. Okay, and so then you, maybe then you were leading people astray. How about today, um, when you've achieved enough money and things, will this program go away and you will have led those people astray and you'll go maybe another way? Well, I'm wondering why you had to include when I make enough money. Are you under the false impression that I'm on this uh, program making money? Yes, sir. Uh, the weeks that I've listened, I always hear you ask about donations and keep us going, and we do uh, survive on money. I've heard that. We do. Is, Correct. I'm telling and the I, truth. I, and it's Now, job? let me ask you something. Because I ask that and I say, if God directs you support us, is that more heinous than a church that brings in a billion dollars a month of tithing on 10% of a gross income so that they can build temples that you have to go into and you have to pay that tithing in order to live with God and become a God later? Which one's more but, heinous to you? But my question is, is this your only job? Is this my only job? Yes, or do you have a day job? Is this your night job, or are you paid by the ministry of what you collect? I'm employed by the ministry. Okay, and is this your own ministry, or is it? are you the president? It's God's ministry. Um, okay, and how did you get in your situation or in your position? Do you, well, I'll, I'll give you the thumbnail, okay? Okay. Uh, in 97, came to know the Lord. In 2001, asked to be excommunicated. From 2001 till 2009, uh, lost everything we had to try to build the ministry, uh, borrowed, uh, really got into some serious debt, never asked for money on the show for the first three and a half, four years. And when it came time for the show that was gonna, we were gonna go belly up, we decided to introduce the Partners Program. You can verify this with my wife or anybody who's in the ministry. If you think that, uh, that I have gotten into this because I'm making money, I was a stockbroker for 13 years. I lost all that stuff in order to um, uh, preach the gospel of Jesus Christ 
to the uh, LDS. And I got to tell you, it's been so rewarding, I wouldn't change a thing. And I'd do it all over again. But you see, you have to do this, Reagan, because you can't believe that somebody would, would get on the air and do this because it might be true. You have to believe I'm doing this for some ulterior motive because, you know, I don't blame you. You've been taught that your whole life. In your temple, they showed, at least if you're old enough, you know, Satan was hired pastors to preach the gospel. So you're, you're taught that, my friend. But you can't believe that there are, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, nothing. I mean, I get all kinds of, of notoriety and people recognize me and it's big for my ego. But there are millions of people. Do you know there are six million Christians who were killed for their faith? Six million. How many Mormons were killed for their faith, Reagan? When you compare the contrast between what people have done for the gospel of Jesus Christ compared to what Mormonism has done, there is absolutely no comparison. But you have to come on here and you have to think that I'm in it for the money. Why don't you look at the facts? Let's talk about the doctrine instead of me. Well, no, because I, I believe you have an influence on other people. And like I said, it, when you were in the Mormon church, I'm sure you had an influence on the younger people that looked up to you as you bore the testimony and did those things that you said, high counselor, and those things. I did. And now I see people might be looking up to you now as they might feel lost. And are, are, is there going to be a time in your future that you're going to think that this is all a bunch of goo stuff and you're going to change and be something totally different, and then all of those people that you've let now are going to be a strain and not know what to do? I mean... Well, well, I, you know, I, I'll, answer be, your question. I'll answer your question, Reagan, but the problem is, is your question, what it's doing is it's planting seeds of doubt in people so that they won't believe the message. And I just want to make clear, my message is certainly don't follow me. You know, I am a man and I am capable of doing all things wrong. And I have never said, follow me. I say, follow Christ. I point to Christ. Will there come a time in my life where I fail off that? God, please forbid. I don't believe so. But maybe so. Maybe someday I will get a brain aneurysm and, I, and I'll say God doesn't exist. I pray that the people whose message I'm just sharing just believe in Christ and Christ alone. I pray that they will continue to hang on to that message of truth. But certainly not to me or anything about me. Well, Sean, you've been very, um, very uh, courteous. And the last thing I do want to compliment you on is I do believe after the conference, the LDS conference show, um, you did get after the people that were, you know, defaming certain uh, body clothing uh, at the conferencing. And I thought that was pretty classy. So, anyway, best to you. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome, Reagan. And, uh, God bless. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to Justin in Pleasant Grove, first-time caller. Justin, you're on Heart of the Matter. Um, hi. Hi, Justin. Hi. Hey. Um, sorry, I was, I was listening to the, uh, to the show, and uh, I... They were right. It, there is a bit of a delay, but anyways, um, I was uh, uh, I was wanting to compliment actually uh, compliment you on your um, your uh, how you differentiated between the Old Testament and the New Testament meaning of uh, repentance, um, uh, and I, I thought that was you know really um, insightful. I, there's not a lot of people who actually understand that, but. Um, I wanted to, uh, to also comment that I think, um, I think where, or I, I think I know where the Mormon and, uh, as you said, the Catholic faith, um, are coming from when they speak of repentance as this, uh, 
is this um, moral reform? Yes, yes. Um, I, I think that uh, they're. Um, I think that they try not to separate the Old Testament <laughs> from the New Testament. Yeah. Um, because the, the, the Old Testament Jews believed that to the, the word for repentance in their language, uh, shuvat and nikam, meant to return and feel sorrowful. Yeah. And, and and I think that's where they draw it from. Yeah. Um, and I, I would like to clarify with you on something. Um, do you believe that um, that by uh, by by faith alone uh, we are saved? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, I would also like to ask, um, and I'm in no way trying to. Uh, uh, it's okay. I'm in no way trying to trip you up here or any anything. I I'm just curious if if um, if Hitler. Or, or some other historically monstrous individual, um, if if they felt uh, this this justification that they did uh, what they did in God's name and, and with faith that they would be forgiven for their uh, monstrosities, do you believe that they would be saved? If Hitler or somebody who had done horrible things truly came to understand who they were relative to Holy God and had a change of mind and had faith on Jesus, absolutely yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Son of Sam is one of those people. David Berkowitz did horrible things. They say uh, that that other horrible uh, acting person did too. I can't remember the serial killer. But uh, they have said those people, and I, 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 I know that the blood of Christ is sufficient for all. Now, did, would they or did they? I, you know, I don't know. But... I would give a Christ far more power than uh, the deeds of men. Yes. Hey, thanks, Justin. We appreciate your call. All right. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. I want to point out something really important. Repentance, first of all, Paul is New Testament, and Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. So we have a completely different gig going on with Paul. But listen, repentance, while it is a change of mind, there is the fruits of repentance, okay? That's when our actions start showing and start bearing fruit that our mind truly is convinced and has changed and then our life starts to conform. But remember, that's the fruits of repentance. That is the product of our mind being changed. If you reverse it and you say change so that your mind can then be convinced, you're talking about legalism and you're talking about a works-based soteriology. So it has to be you believe your mind is changed on everything and then the fruits of repentance begin to bear forth. And bottom line, we could have another show. Those fruits are the fruits of love. Okay, so that's the whole thing in a nutshell. But I wanted to bring that forth. Let's go to Brad in Holiday, Utah. First time caller. Brad, you're on Heart of the Matter. Howdy, Sean. How you doing? Doing well. How are you? Oh, pretty good. I had a question kind of related to that last question. Yeah. So I used to be Mormon. Uh -huh. Um and so I kind of gathered from your show that uh, accepting Jesus as a Savior sort of works the same way as repentance. Uh, it works hand in hand. Yeah. Because when you receive Jesus as the I am, uh, as the Lord and Savior of your life, 
You're going to do that by virtue of seeing who you are, your sin, seeing him who he is, the Holy One, and realizing you need to have some recompense made, some justification done, and you will change your mind on the life you've lived, on who he is, and so it goes hand in hand. It's, the, it's one side. Their faith and repentance are the, on the opposite side of the same coin. Okay? okay, and so with that in mind, with that knowledge, would it not be smart to live a life of sin, to live a life of, you know, you know, smoking meth, you know, looking at porn, whatever. Yeah. And then when I'm 50 or something, aim on repentance, aim on this acceptance of this thing I already know exists. Yeah. Well, you know, you have a good point. And, and people might, you know, we smirk and laugh at that thought. But there was a, 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 in the early church, there were some people who came to Paul and they wanted to do that very thing. God, and Paul yeah. said, God forbid, don't do that. And there was, there were called, it's called antinomianism. And it means without law. And they had the idea, listen, if Jesus suffered for our sins, let's show him more honor by sinning more so that he, he really did a job for us. Right, that sounds good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, Paul, and, and Paul said, no, 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 that, that's not the point. And here's why it's not the point, Brad. Okay. Because okay. sin uh, is, it is going to hurt you. This is a loving God who does not want you. He wants you to be free of sin in this life, free from sin later on. And it's sin. You see, in your mind, maybe you're thinking sin is good. Sin is fun. Sin is rewarding. God knows sin will kill you. Sin will hurt you. Sin will destroy lives. And so he sees it from that perspective, which is the correct perspective. You see it from the fleshly perspective that says, hey, party on till I'm 50 and then I'll repent. Sometimes right. scripture says God will lead you to a reprobate mind where you will be with void of the feeling. You'll be past the ability to even care. So that, that's another danger you run. But I would challenge you, you know, and then there's another side to that, Brad. Vernon McGee said, listen, if you're never going to accept Christ, live it up now. Woo! There you go, Brad. If you're not going to accept Christ, live it up to the hilt. Because let me tell you something. You're going to have a long time to think about that life you lived. But, but what if I just repent, right? What's that? Okay, okay. Um, well, I don't actually believe in that. I just think it's entertaining to think yeah. about. It is an entertaining um, one. Another, another question I had about you, a, a little different off topic. Um, the, the, lately I've been seeing a lot of UFOs, a lot of aliens in my neighborhood, and I was wondering what... What would, uh, where do they fit in the, in the Bible? Well, I had some lunch with some aliens the other day. We got to talking about the word. and uh, So if, if, we, they, if they accept Jesus as their Savior, they will also be with me in heaven. Well, if we're going to go to the whole Raelian alien concept, you know, we, we, we laugh about this, you guys. We have people who are laughing. I'm laughing inside, too. Because, one, we have a rule, Brad. No pot smoking before calling the show. But I'm not saying you've done that. Now, now listen, yeah. Brad. Um, Brad. The, the, the evolutionists, the Richard Dawkins and these sorts, because they cannot tell us where we ultimately came from, where the particle came from in the Big Bang or where anything came from, they are saying, listen, it came from aliens. So this alien idea is going to grow in power. It's going to grow in power over the world. Because okay, that's kind, of, that's kind of like God. I mean, yeah. you can't necessarily say where God came from. He could be an alien. Who right, right. On Earth. And instead of believing in God who has expectations of you, 
and wants you to repent and believe on him and actually maybe your life would change, Brad, it's easier to believe in an alien because then there's no accountability. And you right, can, there's no accountability with an alien. None at all. You know? So, you know, this is an interesting topic. We'll have to talk about it more another time, my friend. Thanks for calling. Uh, what did he say something about? Let's pray for Brad, because I think he said something about Satan, which is exactly where that whole alien thing comes from. Let's go to Arlene in Ogden, uh, first-time caller. Arlene, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, uh, uh, I watch your show, and um, I, I have a problem with uh, the Mormons, kind of, because they have their own book, book, and according to the Bible, if you see where it says Revelation, it tells you you cannot add or subtract what the Bible is saying. That's a really no good. It's a really. That's a very good point, Arlene. And we and and the Bible is sufficient. You know, if someone just took the Bible and read it and believed it, they would be a Christian. They would never be a Mormon. You have to read the Mormon books in addition to the Bible in order to become a Mormon. You have to read the Jehovah's Witness books in order to become a Jehovah's Witness. But if you just read the Bible, you know, and that's why all these, these counterfeits okay. come up and give you their own stuff and add to that Bible. So it's a really good point. Thank you for watching and calling, Arlene. Listen, we're going to do a really quick spot for uh, uh, this thing, Heart for Israel. It helps the program, and it doesn't make us rich, but it helps keep us going. So check this out. Hey, listen, uh, L wrote, I just went through the temple and hated it. It was wrong and felt evil, even silly. I'm married to a Mormon man and did it for him. I was hoping it would change my mind and help me feel the LDS church was true. That didn't happen. I felt like I was more like in a Stephen King novel. I'm stuck in this. I'm stuck in this and need some prayer desperately. Please, please pray for my husband that he will see the truth. And that I quit being so angry with God. Uh, L, you know, you can't really go through that thing unless, uh, unless, and really come out feeling really happy about it, unless you have been trained from a very young age that it's beautiful. When converts go through, it's surprising to me uh, if people really kind of just think it was great or if they don't have at least some serious questions. We all had them. I had them uh, when I went through. My brother uh, had them uh, big time, but then you just keep going and you start to think, well, you know. It's just like it's an acquired taste. You eat enough rusty bolts for breakfast, you're going to like them someday. You know, so it's kind of the same thing. We will pray for you. The Lord's with you. Joseph writes, I have a family in the LDS church, and there are two things that, there are things that bother them about the religion. So they've been active for a few years now. But one of the family members has mentioned a few times that they miss the music and the social interaction, uh, along with their friends. They have visited one Christian church um, and it was quite a shock to them. That's normal. Uh, anyway, I'm concerned for this, uh, that these family members are going to go back to the church. So, and then he asked another question. You know, it's a tremendous culture shock. 
it can be very difficult from going from the, the continuity, the culture, the family, the ecclesia culture, it's a word about the, uh, the whole ecclesiastic culture theology that goes with Mormonism. I mean, we went to dinner for my dad's birthday the other night and three of the families were uh, active LDS and one family was not. And uh, you know, the whole conversation stilted and they are able to talk about everything that's going on. So it is a culture shock, but you know, We've talked about this before. There are Christian churches that will meet your needs out there. Some are going to be more liturgical. Some are going to be more calm. Some are going to be more wild. You have to shop around there and see what, you, what's, what works for you. God knows he's created us all so uniquely and differently that he knows that we have different needs when it comes to worshiping him and knowing him. So because one place is doing something you don't like and another place is boring, just keep trying different places and you'll find them. There are so many really good churches in the Salt Lake Valley and in uh, Provo, uh, Utah County and uh, Ogden and Logan. They are there and pastors who have devoted their lives to making a church a place where you're going to learn about God, worship him and walk away feeling good. So don't give up. Uh, and so he asked where those churches are and uh, can't give that to you tonight. Another one John wrote about scouting. Really interesting in the LDS church. We're going to get into their scouting program because what they've done is they've, they've made that their ironic priesthood arm of the church. They took the scouting program and they tied it in with their priesthood program. He writes about uh, there was an inactive Mormon uh, scout in the Mormon troop in Centerville and he was uh, able to get to first class. Then they told him he would not be given a leadership position which was required for an advanced rank unless he started attending Sunday school. And so that what they do is they interact your advancement and your activity in the scouting program with the Mormon uh, church and its doctrines and practices still. Listen, we're running out of time. Remember Monday, December 6th at the Gateway uh, Megaplex Theater. Please join us 7 to 8 p.m. to premiere Girl. It's free, light refreshments, and we need your feedback. So please join us and help us out with that. Um, also check out www.hotm.tv and uh, Heart for Israel products if you, need, if, if you have gift needs. Next week, we're going to be talking about the Sabbath day and uh, talking about what that is relative to the Old Testament, to the Ten Commandments, to the New Testament, and why on any given Sunday you can walk in a supermarket here in the Mecca of Mormonism and see Mormons shopping. See you then. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, I'm gonna break my rusty cage. And run. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage. Thank you.